0: He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And welcome. We haven't done
1: a podcast in a little bit, but I wanted to get together with my friend Ron Flatter out in Las Vegas. Hey, Ron.
0: Well, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, depending on when you're downloading.
1: All right, we're back on, uh, what was it? Not EdTV. TV. What was it? Um, the, the Jim Carrey. Um, Truman Show. Truman Show. Yeah, that was, that was a good movie. That and Ed TV are kind of a couple of my
0: favorite movies. See, Truman Show, to me, I knew how that was going to end. I could see that from the very beginning. I had it figured. And, and it, when they got to it, I was like, eh. So I, I disappointed myself because I, I overthunk it, and I was right for once in my life. You know what I was disappointed about this weekend? What was that? The uh, the passing away of some really really cool oh, people. Oh yeah, yeah, we did lose some good people. Do you want to start with Paul Pompa Jr., the uh, the owner breeder?
1: Yes, I didn't know him,
0: but he was related to Mike
1: Ziegler, who was a good friend of mine and who runs the. Uh, uh, He's one of the big wigs at Churchill Downs. Uh, I worked with him at. at I worked with him at Hollywood Park. We know each other very well. I did some good stuff for him. And uh, we, uh, and I think it was his father-in-law, I think. Because I remember him telling me that when, uh, I think Paul Pompa bred
0: Big Brown. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I actually interviewed him a couple months ago. We were talking about country grammar, among other things, because he was part owner there and was a, was a very visible owner, of course, for so many horses. So we wound up talking about that. And the funny thing I remember about that conversation was it was pouring down rain in New Jersey. And he's driving around, and he probably shouldn't have been on the phone. But he took the call, and he was so good to give information, and then we got cut off because of the weather or whatever. And then he called back and wanted to make sure I had everything. And so that was my my one and only real one-on-one experience with him. It was just a few months ago. He was only 62, but he will have gone to dinner most of the end of his life over the last, what, 12 years on Big Brown. And Big Brown was the horse that brought him to prominence. He named Big Brown because one of his clients was UPS. And obviously UPS is a big brown color. And uh, so, yeah, a horrible loss. You can't, you can't lose people who are so good for the game And so visibly good for the game to promote it without really noticing it, without it really hurting, be it to the core of racing or even just emotionally for those who knew him best. We send our best to the Mike Ziegler
1: family and Paul Pompas family on the passing. Rest in peace, Paul. I hope you get a lot of winners up in that big racetrack up in the sky. And... um, I was very sad this weekend when, the pa- when I heard the passing of Barry Avers. Yeah. Uh, Barry, I got to know Barry. I got to know Barry pretty well. He'd sit upstairs in the press box clock in the morning. He was a very witty man. He's clever. He didn't say a whole lot, but when he said it, it meant something. And he had a good sense of the game. And I'll share with you this story. I'm down on the apron, and one of his horses, one of his unusual heats, worked in, on my watch at 17 and change for three quarters. And Barry comes walking up to me. Hey, how you doing? what would you get my horse in? I said, 17 and two. He looked over at me, and he scoffed. He says, I got 11 and two. I said, Barry, I got eleven and two from the five and a half pole for five and a half furlongs, and he just laughed like he always <laughs> did, and he kind of walked off. He was just being a smart aleck, and um, you know that was Barry. He was, you know, he he wasn't a guy that was over the top on his horses, and he wasn't a guy that was downplaying his horses. He wasn't a big better. He wasn't – I don't know if he bet at all. I don't really have an opinion on that. I didn't see it. But he was just a good man, and he did so well for Madeline and uh, Harris Arbach with Unusual Heat, uh, who became probably one of the greatest stallions ever stand in California. And you know what's funny, Ron? The, I think I talked to you about it on one of our other podcasts. I bought three horses out of the Keeling
0: Yearling sale. And I bought a filly by violence out of an Unusual Heat mare. Which was probably the horse with whom he'll be associated forever.
1: And Unusual Heat was a Nureyev stallion. Mm-hmm. Nureyev was probably one. It was by Northern Dancer. Nuriev was one of the most unbelievable stallions to come along in an in, in a in a general in and in, in an era that you know that had some fantastic stallion prospects and stallions that proved themselves and i always used to love to see the nerians they were turf dirt long short sprint route, everything um skimming was you remember him for Bobby Frankel? Mm-hmm. He was a area. He had that look, that flat head, black look to him. And when I saw this Philly, I thought about Barry, and I thought about unusual heat. She was all unusual heat, and um, and I thought about Barry. And it's it was kind of it's in, it's kind of you know. And then hearing that he passed away, um, I'll always have a little bit of a reminder of Barry when I see that Philly run which I own a little piece of oh my so Barry I got you you're here and uh I'll tell you one thing about Barry Igros he had cancer for at least 20 years Fifth, that he fought
0: the re- reported as 15 but that's long enough I have a friend with throat cancer now who's had it for a few months a day is awful uh, think about I all remember. the time we're talking about here yeah yeah
1: he was standing next, sitting next to me with that patch on his neck. He could barely talk, but he was still he was still the, um, the smart aleck that he always was. Hmm. very on you. Now then there was, of course, it comes in threes, right? Yeah.
0: Gary Jones. Gary Jones, Hall of Famer, and uh, he passed away another California figure as well, 76 years of age, and uh, what a an ambassador he was for California racing. And when you think about his horses, you think of Turkoman, who won the 86 Eclipse for top older horse. Uh, he's the, the son of a legendary trainer himself. And Gary made the Hall of Fame on his own merit. He also uh, himself trained a Hall of Famer and that was best pal. And so you look at horses like those, but it goes beyond the horses when you think about Gary Jones and his legacy, because he was such a champion to promote and build racing around Southern California. He operated out of Santa Anita and also at Hollywood Park. And so he would shuttle back and forth there. And he knew the Harbor Freeway as it was written in the Santa Anita news release and the obituary about him by Mike Wilman, that that guy knew the freeway and could get between the two of them like nobody's business and was really strong in promoting both of those racetracks, the horses at those racetracks, the races at those racetracks, let alone his own horses. So uh, yeah, another one, yet another one, we can't be losing men and women like Gary Jones, yet we did at the age of 76.
1: And as you can tell, Joe has decided to chime in. Um, one of his favorite, Joe's favorite uh, studs used to be Metal Lake. Um, mm-hmm. And Joe, Gary Jones trained a lot of Metal Lakes, and they were fast. Uh, Gary Jones trained a lot at Hollywood Park. And I cut my teeth clocking his horses in the morning in the early 90s, and he would let them roll, Ron. I mean, they would, he was, before Baffert, he was Baffert, hmm. the way he trained um, and they would let him roll. And his son, Martin Jones, who I got to be friends with. Uh, now, Martin was the total opposite. He didn't do anything with his horses. But um, Gary Jones was quite the ambassador. Um, I, I'll never forget when the Stuka ran uh, behind, ran behind uh, the Wicked North in the Big Cap in 1994. And um, he ran second, but because there was some kind of foul uh, at the top of the right. lane which say Wicked North came in, um, Stuka got put up and Gary Jones was not shy about jumping up and down and you know yelling out, I won the big, we won the big cap, we won the big cap with Stuka. Um, and it and, and just you know Gary Jones was, such a likable guy. He, had, he was so infectious with his excitement. It, it was like, even if he won a main special race, he was he acted like it was the greatest race he ever, you know, the first race he ever won. And you can't beat that, you know, and um, he'll be missed too. He had been out of sort of the, uh, he had been he had been out of the, the loop uh, mm-hmm. of, of late You really didn't see him all that much. But also, I wasn't in California that much anymore.
0: Well, he retired in 96, Bruno.
1: Right. I was out of there in 2011. But um, he used to come around the press box a lot. You know, and he was just – he was a throwback. He was definitely – you know, if you see pictures of him, you go, this guy must be from the 70s and 80s. Absolutely, hmm. he was.
0: And I'll you give know? you, speaking of the 80s, I'll give you a mare, of Philly, a mare he had named Wishing Well, and you might not otherwise know her except for the fact that she did full a horse that we like to call Sunday Silence. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And there's a name, it's, there's a there's a stakes at Santa Anita named the Wishing Well, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, but... Um, he, all these people will be missed. I'll tell you one thing about 2020. It has been an awful year. We have lost a lot of good people in 2020, and um,
0: it's just it's just sad. It is, but Bruno, we lose a lot of good people every year. That's part of life. I don't want to throw this all on 2020 though. It's it's just been a bad year. I get it, but I don't want yeah. to diminish the the memories we have of those who've also gone before. Uh, before 2020 or before 1920, frankly. Amen. But, it, but Amen. it's yeah. Look, it's. Death is part of life. It's come in 2020, as it has every year, and it will continue to do. And we just cherish the lives that we not only live, but that we knew through all these times.
1: All right. Let's put our handkerchiefs away. Yes. And let's talk about something pop. Reader's Cup is in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you, we did a uh, a Zoom with uh, you. You were, were on board with us, and we went through the Arc de Triomphe. Oh, that was uh, fantastic. Nick. That was fun. Now, um, let's talk about some of the uh, BC invaders coming in. I heard Aiden has got a ton of horses coming in
0: town. Aiden doesn't. Godolphin has one that's really going to have the exclamation point, but Aiden, of course, will have his presence. Let me mention the one first that's not an Aiden. And it's the Godolphin, Gaiath, who's won, what, uh, four Group Ones, including three this year, and he's 2-1 to one in the futures right now. the breeders cup turf they have removed him from the british champion stakes this week i've been trying to get in touch with charlie appleby to just confirm everything but their intention all along was to bring him over here now it looked like we were going to have a showdown with aiden's brilliant philly love she was three to one in the turf futures but he said on wednesday or on tuesday i should say today as we're recording, that he will not send love to the Breeders' Cup, and that she's probably done for the year. They were really pointing her for the Ark. She was one of the horses scratched in the Ark before that they had the drug positives that the Coolmore people blamed on bad feed. She was scratched before that because of the likelihood and what wound up being the reality of the very soft ground at Longchamp. And so, They're not going to run love the rest of the year now. They were really pointing there, and now they think they'll just be better off shutting her down for the year. So here's what's left. Magical comes back. It looks like now she's going to race and try to win the British champion stakes again. She won it last year. She's going to race this weekend, but they've turned horses back around from that race and come three weeks later to the Breeders' Cup. You might remember found when she won the arc, finished second in the Champions, and then third in the Breeders' Cup behind... Uh, Highland Reel a few years ago at Santa Anita. Mogul is going to be coming in. Mogul, another one of the Aiden O'Brien horses, also could be racing this weekend at British Champions. Uh, also, Serpentine, remember the long shot winner of the Epsom Derby, also could be oh, he, in the Breeders' Cup He destroyed turf. him. Mm-hmm. Now, he's had two bad races since, or disappointing races. Leave it to others to say whether they were bad. But uh, they are also looking at bringing him over. Uh, Not a definite for Saturday, a British champion, even though he's nominated, because they're looking at maybe sending him directly to Kentucky without even going through Ascot. So that's a pretty good uh, bunch of horses that we're looking at there. When you look at Magical, Mogul, Japan, a long shot, better year last year than this, and also Serpentine coming over for Aiden. They could be loading up in the Breeders' Cup turf. Uh, The females could be looking at the Philly and Mare turf, so they've got some options there. But let me throw one other curveball for you about Gaeth, the Godolphin horse. They're maybe looking at him for the classic. Now, that might just be a cross-entry where they'll look at the fields for both races and then decide at that point they'll have to make a declaration the Friday before the draw as to what their preference is. But... That's something that Alistair Donald from the International Racing Bureau told me in the last 24 hours, The Gaiath will probably be cross entered in both the turf and in the classic.
1: Now, there's one horse that I'm interested in. It's the Prix del Opera Group yeah. 1 winner, Tarnawa. Mm-hmm. Tarnawa. Um, if I pronounce that correctly. Mm-hmm. I loved the win in the Opera. I thought he, that, that horse did more... Yeah, We went and looked at it three different times, and I think we went back and said, whoa, 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 wait a second. Watch the trip this horse had. Um, and um, I, I, I loved it, win.
0: Well, according to Alistair Donald, who, by the way, has the nickname Duck. Get it? Donald Duck? I didn't come up with it. He did. Or somebody did for him. But Duck says the Tarna was also a possibility for the Philly and Mare turf. And actually, if they put her there, and this is Dermot Weld who will make the call for the Aga Khan who owns and bred the horse. She's the four to one futures favorite for the Philly and Mare turf. You're looking at a mile and three sixteenths for that race rather than the mile and a half for the turf go against the girls rather than the boys. Not that that's necessarily indicative of any particular strength or weakness in the field. It just depends on the individual horses that are in there. But Cayenne Pepper and the Guineas winner Peaceful are also possibilities coming over For various barns from Europe to come into the Philly and mare turf. So we're looking at them as well for that particular race. But you're right. Tarnawa was so impressive on that art card in the Prix de l'Opera that uh, she is for very good reason on Merit, the four to one favorite for the Philly and mare turf.
1: I am allergic to uh, cayenne pepper.
0: (laughs) So you won't go at nine to one on her?
1: Well, Oh, well, how about some of the results we saw this weekend here? How about Nashville? The way he won in his second start for Steve Asmussen. Could he conceivably go in the Breeders' Cup sprint? And how about
0: Japan? Well, there is talk that they're going to go Breeders' Cup sprint. We just haven't heard from Steve just yet on that. But, yeah, absolutely. And, in fact, I think I can call up some odds here to tell you where the early betting is on the sprint, and uh, it reveals uh, Nashville showed up as a 10-to-1 choice right now. In Europe, they already are going in on uh, Nashville at the books there, odds checker reflecting the trend there, and that's where we get that number. But at 10-to-1, you're looking at that by comparison to Vacoma at 9-to-2. Chancelot at 7-to-1, Diamond Oops 7-to-1, CZ Rocket at 8, and then you get the horses at 10 that include Nashville, Kamari also at 10. So, yeah, right there, you're looking at a contender and is already being seriously discussed by bettors overseas uh, in Europe.
1: Well, the one thing that I do find interesting is the gambling on, on Vekoma. Um, Vekoma has had a number of drills. He's had five works. Um all of them at saratoga um he said thirty seven one a forty eight two a fifty one one a one oh two and three and a one oh two and one he's not a horse that I would i i i just can't see him in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. not the way it moves not i I just can't see it i can't uh you think you know
0: do you go uh, dirt mile, dirt miles seven to two favorite there that's the other thing you have to bear in mind about the futures because betters are trying to cover their tracks for all the cross-entry possibilities. He's, he's even a long shot in the classic, but he's most fancied right now at seven to two as the favorite in the dirt mile. Well, who else is in the dirt mile? Oh, that could be loaded. Uh, forensic Fire's committed now. You've got, uh, Charlatan could be coming back if he does. Complexity at 11 to two. You're looking at Mr. Freeze maybe coming in. Mr. Money could be coming in. You got Tis the Law. Uh, if they decide to go in that direction, although I don't think they would. Uh, you've got Art Collector at 10-1. to 1. I mean, uh, Jesus' team has been declared, although at 40-1 to 1, you figure on merit that they're, you're looking at whether that was a fluke finish in the Preakness. So uh, those are the horses. Mid-court, uh, this is going to be a big field in terms of the number of horses that are going to be coming in. And one thing you have to think about, Keeneland's mile, it is very post-position
1: oriented. Because it's really about a mile and a sixteenth, and it starts right on top of the turn with a long run up, um, and and if I do believe it might play to the short stretch.
0: I was just going to ask you, which which finish would they use?
1: Well, it's you know, Keeneland is a mile and a sixteen track.
0: Right, but they have it's two the finish lines, lines right? right?
1: Yeah. So if they start at the wire, and they have to start near the wire. They can't finish at the wire, or else that's a mile and 16. So if they start at the wire, they got to finish it at the short stretch.
0: I was just going to call this up and see if I could uh, take a look.
1: But I'm pretty sure that the mile stops at the short stretch. It has to.
0: It must, because I'm looking at the replay of the 2015 dirt mile, and they had a good run to that first turn. Right.
1: Because for them to start the mile... They'd have to start the mile at you know uh, way before the wire,
0: and they'd have to shortstop. Yeah, they did. At, I'm looking at the replay right now, and they did. It looks like they started. Well, it looks like the run up was to the wire, Bruno. It looks like that's where the clock would have started. Right,
1: exactly. So from the wire all the way around to the wire, that's a mile and sixteen. So, so they, they can't do that. So they go to the so early, oh, so to the,
0: the first 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 line. Okay.
1: Yeah, I hate those shorts, but that's that's all about a trip. You've got to negotiate a trip there. You can't sit there and, 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 you know, all the late runners have got to move early at the short stretch. Because you've only got really a 60, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a furlong. A stretch run is a furlong.
0: Right. That's it. And, and that, that's why I think you're looking at horses like, say, Forensic Fire is going to go sprint because he's really a one-turn horse. He's shown an ability at one turn but not at two. And if you're a one-turn miler, well, the dirt mile may not be for you.
1: No. Uh, when you mentioned him, I went, no. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's, you know, Keeneland brings you some intrigue to your distances because they're not quite the distances you're accustomed to. So you have to get a horse that's going to be a, get an inside post, speed to escape that post, speed to get foot position, and while the late runners, whether they have an inside or outside post, uh, uh, post they have to move earlier because of the short stretch. <clears throat> and that's why you find a lot of uh, closers make this big move in, in the short stretch, but they have to be asked so early that they run out of gas because they have to make a premature move.
0: It's the uh, it's the ever-changing nature of the dirt mile. You really have to pay attention to the conditions and the makeup of the race as you come into each one. I mean, think about this, Bruno. The first three years of the dirt mile in 07, 08, and 09, they were neither dirt nor mile, one or the other. The first year, it was a mile and 70 at Monmouth. And then the next two years, it was on the synthetic surface at Santa Anita. So it wasn't right. a real dirt mile until they finally got to the 2010 Breeders' Cup.
1: <laughs> Which that was at Churchill, and it was a one turn mile.
0: And it was a one turn mile. So, yeah, it's it, it varies. You got to you check your local listings, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: But um, so, what other Breeders' Cup news do we have?
0: Uh, there's actually a few others in the Foreigners that I can go ahead and mention to you.
1: Well, please, you, yeah. you're like a
0: uh, Yeah, we can go ahead and go through these. We wrote about these at uh, horseracingnation.com. Uh, Kamiko, a uh, recent Group 2 winner, and a couple more Coolmores, Circus Maximus and Lope y Fernandez, look like they could be the main European contenders for the mile, which really isn't much. This It doesn't sound like that the Europeans are going to populate the mile very well, especially when you consider that the list of horses that were mentioned did not include Palace Pier. Palace Pier is the odds-on favorite for the British champion mile on Saturday, which is actually better known as the Queen Elizabeth II stakes at Ascot, and we'll go into that race four to five. So it's always possible, and we said this again, that you can come back from that race to come to the Breeders' Cup, but not everybody does that, and it doesn't sound like they're going to do that with Palace Piers. So the foreigners coming in for the mile may not be as loaded for that race. As we might see for others, turf sprint or for the and that would be the turf mile. Well, well let's
1: go back mm-hmm. to the british sure. mile. Sure. Mm-hmm. What 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 is the uh, what does the futures
0: show? Futures right now showing uh, Palace Pier temporarily the favorite, but if you throw Palace Pier out of the mix, then you're looking at Uni and you're looking at Raging Bull and you're looking at Mo Forza and you're looking at uh, Kamiko as being the shortest-priced horses coming into the field. and So you're looking at a lot of U.S. horses in that uh, that race, and so it becomes the Chad Brown Invitational to a certain extent.
1: That's a grab bag. That race is an absolute grab bag.
0: It really sounds it. It just doesn't sound like it's going to come up as deep as some of these other turf races, Bruno.
1: Let me ask you a question. What if Got Stormy, off the sprint that they ran the other day, went into the Breeders' Cup? Turf mile. Hmm. She ran a bang up race last year.
0: Uh, good question. Uh, by the way, Got Stormy, if you want to take a flyer on that, 10 to 1 offshore and 16 to 1 overseas in the turf mile. Oh, I'll so, take
1: 61 all day on wouldn't that.
0: You take the, would you take that? Now, again, that's an all in bet. So if Got Stormy doesn't enter the race, you still lose the money. But 16 to 1, if, you, if you're that confident in Got Stormy, and then, if you have access to being able to bet over in Europe, then you take that price, right?
1: Uh, I think sixteen and one would be fair to take a shot because she she runs, she'll be nine to
0: two, seven to two. Mm-hmm. Thus, so, anyway. that's the nature of futures. Um, and then uh, also the turf sprint that's uh, coming up with Batash, the early favorite. Oh,
1: he's phenomenal,
0: yeah. He's phenomenal. So three for three this year. Six-year-old gelding just keeps getting it done. You're looking at a, a shorter than three to one favorite, plus two seventy five. So, right there between five to two and three to well, one. Well,
1: my question. Well, let me ask you. My question with him is: He a five and a half for a long horse?
0: Well, he may not have to be. Here's the thing: There's not this this division, at least in terms of the foreigners, is coming up very thin. Uh, Oxted and Glass Slippers, both of which will be certain double digit long shots, also could be committed uh, to coming over for that race. But right now. Batash is far and away the future's favorite there. In fact, the only other single-digit horses are Leinster and Wooded. We saw Wooded win on the art card, and uh, Leinster at, uh, what do we have, 6-1. to one. Uh, imp- uh, Imprimis, or Imprimis, you tell me how to pronounce it, but I always get it wrong. It's either Imprimis or Imprimis. Whichever way I say it, it's the other. 9-1, uh, to one, and uh, you're looking at 6-1 to one for Leinster.
1: Leicester absolutely loves Keelan. Absolutely. I mean, he's a horse that is will, will, going to be a big price because they're going to discount him. And I think he's very alive.
0: It's a, like I said, it's a thin division. It doesn't sound like the Europeans other than Batash. Uh, Batash, that's all you need for an invasion. I mean, you start with Batash, you, you might be money in the bank right there. So are you suggesting maybe Batash against the best of the U.S., and the best of the U.S., you're thinking might be the course horse, Leinster?
1: That's early bird, early bird mm-hmm. thinking here.
0: Yeah, um, On the
1: Freedoms Cup Juvenile uh, sprint on the turf, mm-hmm. Golden Powell from uh, the, the Wesley Ward uh, looks like a, a very good contender. My big question about Golden Powell is uh, he's going to come in fresh for Wesley,
0: the interesting part, Wesley's only one for Christine at the meet so far. Hmm, interesting. And you look at the field in terms of the foreigners, Battleground has been committed by uh, Aiden O'Brien to come in, and you're looking at, right now, the 5-1 to one favorite for the Juvenile Turf. Group 2 winner coming off three months rest. They were looking at putting him in the Dewhurst last week at Newmarket but uh, Aidan O'Brien, who sometimes really tries to poach the Breeders' Cup with his two-year-olds, not with his best two-year-olds. His best two-year-olds, the most accomplished two-year-olds over there, the moment they win a big race at two over there, they're shut down to prepare them for the Derby and the Guineas next year, right? So Battleground's been off for three months, so is fresh, and instead of going to Newmarket, they're thinking, go for the bigger prize with the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. So sometimes Aiden poaches with maybe not his best two year olds but certainly one that he looks for a spot and tries to win that way and that's battleground this year
1: those are always interesting races um, uh, it all it's all about the break it's all about whether uh, um, post position um, especially in California it was um, it was the, the one hole at Del Mar was the oh. death. Yeah. Wasn't that the truth? Uh, so, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Now, let's look at the the the, the obvious uh, races that are interesting. are the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies and the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Colts. I thought we, we covered the Juvenile Colts very well on the Zoom. Um, but uh, um, there was a really, really nice win by Jackie's Warrior oh. at a
0: mile, and that was legit certainly looks it right. Now you just wonder I'm going to ask you this because you are certainly the better eye for horse flesh in this sense, but what do you write off to precocity with that horse that will be caught up with by others as they get older?
1: The no one thing about Jackie's Warrior is his mental capability. Um he he is he acts like an older horse. Uh, I saw that from day 1. Um I remember I was during during kind of not, but really, there's never really been a lockdown. But we were Joe and I were clocking from the car and That's sitting right. at the eighth fall, which is great. We're right on the rail, you know. And
0: I love Joe's mask. It looks just like a dog face.
1: Yeah, it does. You know, I need to get him to grow thumbs. He's trying to grow thumbs so he can clock. <laughs> um, but the one beauty thing about it was I watched. Jackie's Warrior work out of the gate in the three horse set. In between horses, directional was on his outside with Santana. And I remember watching the work and it was very good work. They went about a minute. Um, but what really drew me to Jackie's Warrior, this is before he ever started, was the way he had his ears pricked up on the Gallop out. He was totally comfortable being between horses. Mm. And then in his debut, he got completely shot off. He hit the rail on the turn, lost about five lanes to to the leader, regained the stride within two steps, and drew off to win by five. Um, that sold me on his ability to do things, and I thought
0: he was absolutely smashing mm. the other day. You can get him at three to two offshore and you can get him at almost two to one plus 175 in Europe to win the Breeders Cup juvenile. And if you really want to look ahead, he was 30 to one as the favorite to win the Kentucky Derby. Now he's 20 to one. Uh, I wouldn't touch well, any. What, horse about, well,
1: what, about, what about essential quality?
0: Uh, yeah, good point. Uh, essential quality for the uh, Breeders Cup juvenile is five to one and a certain second choice right now so that's the one you're looking at in fact shortened to second choice on the basis of that last race and the one that we looked at including her uh including his pardon me maiden win uh that we broke down and you showed us how uh, he was able to overcome some real trouble in his debut but those are the top two. And it's a, it, it, you talk about the two-horse race. If you look at the odds, they're the only two shorter than 10 to 1. And, one of them, and the second shortest is 5 to 1. So that just underscores what you're looking at uh, for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And if you're looking ahead uh, to next year's Kentucky Derby, the numbers I see right now do not show essential quality, but that doesn't mean that uh, they are up-to-date at the moment. The only one I have up-to-date is Jackie's Warrior. At 20 to 1 for next year's Derby. And again, I wouldn't touch any, I wouldn't have touched Secretariat at 20 to 1 this far in advance of a Kentucky Derby, even if it is in May. Well, what about uh, on the Phillies? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's two Phillies I really like, and they're both
1: out of Kentucky, and that's Simply Ravishing. And I like, I still like Travel Column. I think but, Travel Column needs to get a better trip and a better start. Uh, Simply Ravishing was Simply Ravishing. Just absolutely. Uh, uh, but she did get away with an easy lead. She got everything her way. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different when it comes into a, a, a fuller field,
0: a yeah. uh, fourth position. Yeah, I got and one. You're forgetting one. Who? Princess Noor. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Well, how did I forget her? Running away at you. Three for three for Baffert and won the Chandelier. And you're looking at a horse that also had won the Del Mar debutante and has the same type of odds for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. As uh, we are seeing right now uh, for the Breeders' Cup Fillies uh, with the Jackie's Warrior, you're looking at three to two offshore and plus one seventy-five, or what would that be, seven to four? That might be a really good race, you know, because you're going to have three, you know, crazy beautiful
1: run really well. Um, you're going to have four or five really good fillies running in there.
0: Simply ravishing um, is five to one. You've also got girl daddy at seven to one. Oh, so. girl daddy is Absolutely, really yeah. I, so that I, could be a very good race. Right? Storm.
1: She's training up a storm for Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and of course, you know Dale's going to tell you that's the best Philly he's ever trained. He's only pretty probably put that particular um, label
0: on. I would say the overs on there would be about 35 horses. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, hey, look, he's got Dennis's moment back at work, and he's pointing him to the Pegasus World Cup next year, thinking that he can okay. make up for lost time there. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, yeah.
1: Wake me up. Wake me up when that horse when that horse actually, you know. Everything in that barn is a freak. Everything. <laughs> Everything is a freak. Oh, it might be a real serious ace or race horse here. You know what? You say that about 90 horses. You might be right about one. I told you. I, I I just. God bless him. God bless Dale Romans. I I think Dale says things. I think he really means them. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah, You're right. I think he really means them because. <laughs> he, what is he going to say? It's good to have uh, confidence. in Your know, animals. He's not going to be uh, as 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 clever as a baffer, You know. That after one of, after his Breeders Cup Sprint winner Thirty Slews ran bad yeah, on his comeback after the Breeders Cup, uh, the next year, um, Steve ShuLine uh, was trying to figure out you know what happened. So he went down to Bob and said, "Bob, what happened? Did you find out anything that was wrong you know with Thirty Slews? He ran so bad." And he said he was a little sore in the gut, and. Shoe line is like, well, where would that be from? And you know, that's where I kicked him after he ran back. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, but I gotta give Dale his props in terms of a great line. Jenny Reese and I were interviewing him before the 2015 Haskell. Little did we know that Keen Ice a month later would win the Travers against American Pharaoh. But here was Keen Ice going up against Pharaoh at what was going to be the valedictory run at the Haskell at Monmouth. And we were talking to him, and and Dale said uh, we were asking, well, what kind of chance does Keen Ice have? And Dale said, "I just hope he isn't the guy that Michael Jordan's dunking on." <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I got to tell you something about Dale. Dale Dale is
1: a he's he's unique and he's great for the game. Sometimes I do the uh, eye roll. But I'll tell you what, he is the best at making up shit come out of his mouth. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he <a> was <laughs> the
0: same guy I asked about before I think it was before the Haskell when I said, Okay, you got Keen Ice coming back. I go, Isn't it funny? This race, if you look at other than American Pharaoh, you got a bunch of horses that, that could be in the uh you know, in the non ones. And you know, is your I mean, isn't it weird that your horse can be as accomplished as he is up to this point with the close calls he's had and still be eligible for a non-1. And Dale says, I'm not even sure he could win a (laughs) (laughs) non-1. Then he turns around and beats Pharaoh in the upset of the year.
1: (laughs) Uh, I, I said something to him one day about one of his horses,
0: and he looks over at me,
1: and he had been drinking. We're at some bar. I don't know. Ask Tammy. She works all of She ain't been drinking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fun being around Dale when he's holding court at the bar. I've been uh, had, had, uh, had that pleasure a couple times.
1: Oh, uh, he, he, he loves to do that, you know? Um, but it just, it, you know, those guys are a lot of fun to listen to, you they know? Really but sometimes are. you got to deal with the bullshit. You it's, really do. I mean, okay. I've said Same thing very with nice.
0: us, Bruno. Same thing with well, us.
1: I, I got to tell you, I sat on, on, on the balcony with Bob and, you know, just me, him and I, clocking horses, and he talks one way. But then if he's got a crowd and he's got a group, you know, it's another.
0: Oh, yeah. He did. I showed up at the clocker's stand at Del Mar one day, and I'm never at the clocker stand. So when I show up there, it's like, what are you doing here? And Bob's asked me, what are you doing here? And I said, Well, I'm here to talk to another trainer. I'm just waiting for the time and just uh, hanging out watching horse. He goes, Okay. And then he bursts into an impersonation of that other trainer. And, <laughs> and I uh, thought, All right, well, if, if for some reason I lose my appointment, Bob, you can speak for the other trainer. <laughs> it's, uh, weird. Did, did, I was
1: on the Bad Guinea stand at Del Mar when the, a week or about two weeks after Touch Gold ran down. Uh, Silver charm in the Belmont, okay, and it was just me and him. and he walks up and he's standing next to me and he goes, can you believe that bald-headed beep 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 beat me out of the triple Crown? <laughs> 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 I'm referring to David Hoffman, yeah, you know um, one day, and then this is a great part because I think people love stories there was and he had some main claimer, he had a gray horse. This is like maybe 1980, 1998, 99. And he's working at Santa Anita. And, and, and Bob had told me, he goes, I got a couple coming out of the gate. Don't get too excited. They ain't much. The gray horse works 11 and 3. Right? Mm-hmm. He even spooked at the 3-8s ball. Spooked, <laughs> went out and finished 11 and 3. So I said, Bob, he went 11 and 3. I said, he spooked from something. He goes, oh, he saw a rabbit on the turf course. <laughs> Number one. I said, that's pretty impressive of seeing a rabbit on the turf course and then, you know, finishing at 11 and 3. <laughs> he goes, oh, well, I got a little secret. I got him to do that. I said, what? He looks at me and goes, I threw, two, I threw two dog biscuits at the wire. <laughs> <laughs> And I just looked at him, you know, and I was just like, how the hell did you come up with that one, you know? Oh, man. I but love it. You know, my favorite Bob Baffert story is Breeders' Cup 1993. And I hung out with Mike Malika a lot. Mike Malika, me, Baffert, um, we used to all sit around for the races. Um, and um, Brian Carney, who owned the 101. And we would play all day long. Well, it was the Friday before we went to a two day format, the Friday before the Breeders' Cup. Okay. And he came up to me for the feature race and he stands next to me and he's like, What do you like in this race? I said, I really like the Ellis and I think Van Berg runs second, 3 4. He turns around and walks away. Like, okay. Um, Malika, who now is Breeze LLC you know he's an owner now and a bloodstock agent i think he had something to do with uh, the green monkey being sold for 16 million i think he was part of that um as a seller um looked over at me goes you know what he's gonna go do right now right i go no he's gonna put a 600 straight dollar exacta." i said straight he goes yeah he doesn't box so they run the race and the ellis wins and Jack Lemberg runs second, and I never forget the exact. To pay paid thirty four dollars for two bucks. So I'm thinking thirty four times two. You know, it's almost ten grand, right? Right. I think it was nine thousand something. No, no, it was sixty eight hundred. It was sixty eight hundred. Okay. Well, that night, that night was the the Cup party at the Breeders' Cup party at Arboretum, 1993. And I'm there, sitting at my table, and Bob is sitting with Bob Lewis over on the other side. And he keeps waving at me, right? And I keep looking over, like, and he's giving me the big thumbs-up sign, right? And he's talking to Bob Lewis and stuff, and he reaches in his pocket, and he takes out a large wad of cash. And he's flaunting me with it. Right? Oh. So I walked over. And he goes, You know, that deal you gave me, that deal, I went over, I gave my ticket to I gave my ticket to my groom and I said, Go and see if this thing's any good. He goes, My groom came back in, his eyes are bigger than, you know. <laughs> He had never seen that much money in his life, <laughs> and he didn't know if the ticket won. No, he had no idea. No idea,
0: you know. <laughs> Go see if this is any good.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know that, that 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 to me made me laugh. Of course, Bob Lewis was one of the. I tell you, I've had a lot of fortune of being around some of the greatest people in the game. Mister Lewis, Bob Lewis was the sweetest man you'll ever meet in your life. I stood between him, Mike Molica, and mm-hmm. Bob Baffert when Bob Lewis in 1994 said, Bob, I will never have D. Wayne Lucas as my trainer. Three months later, he's on a plane for the Keelan Yearly sale, and guess who he's sitting next
0: to? One D. Wayne, Coach Lucas. And guess who they bought? No, oh, no. Ooh. Serena song.
1: Oh, so you know, and what was interesting is Bob Lewis, you know, was with Bob Baffert, but also Malika and Frankie Vega had Bob Lewis as an owner first. We always used to kid around. How did Frankie Vega let this guy go? You know. Mm. So, you know, it's I, I've been really lucky, Ron. I've been around the greatest. I've had a chance to sit with the greatest, and. Talk with the greatest ever, and and I came from an era in California, where you had you could sit around talking to Eddie De La Husse, uh, you could sit around talking to Gary Stevens. I'll say Corey Black, uh, Sandy Hawley. Lafitte um, uh, Pincai, uh Who am I missing here? Uh, Robbie Davis, who's training here, and his son Dylan is riding out here. Shoe, shoemaker. I knew him a little bit. I was right when I got there when he retired, and he was training, and then the accident happened. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. But I was I I was in the I ran in the in the group of people that hung out with him, you know the Patty Gallagher's and and uh, the, the all the uh, shoemaker. I met him a couple of times, and it's just a really really nice guy. Um, but I do have to share, and we're going to wrap this up. I have to share my Eddie Delahoussaye story. Okay. Eddie D was two stories with him. First of all, Jack Caraba was was having a bad run, uh, and he just couldn't win a race at Hollywood Park. So he took one of his 20000 dollars claimers, dropped him in for ten, and got Eddie to ride. And in the paddock, he said to Eddie, "Now, Eddie, I gotta win a race for this guy. I think it was Dennis." Dennis DeBoer, I think, was the owner.
0: I remember he, Dennis
1: DeBoer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he goes, you got to win. i got to win a race to this guy. I'm going to get fired. He goes, this horse is 10 lengths the best here. You know? So, they run the race. Eddie gets stopped at the quarter, stopped at the eight, stopped at the 16, gets beat by a nose. Horse gets claimed. Jack is fuming. You could see Steam coming out of his ears, going out on the track. Before he could say a word, Eddie is on the horse, ten feet away from him, coming towards him. He goes, "Hey, Jack. Next time, why don't you just tell me to make a twelve lengths, just to make sure?" <laughs> <laughs> Another time, I used to love hanging out by the winter circle at at um, and by the uh, where they unsaddled um, after a race, they mm-hmm. park and. Eddie D comes off his horse and he's just shaking his head. He finished fourth or fifth. He's just shaking his head. And I always used to kind of, you know, we we were, we were, we had a lot of friends, mutual uh, uh, friends that we used to hang out with. We'd have dinner with, you know, we did a lot of stuff, you know. Um, and um, Eddie just looks at me and he goes, these young whippersnappers. Turning for home, They a hooping and a hollering. I don't make no go any faster, and it just made it really special to be around them. Um, and the Chris Antley, the late Chris Antley, yeah, loved Chris. Um, you know, all these guys, Kent and Sormo. They, were, I, I used to walk out with them from in the from the jo- out of Jock's room area into the paddock. And they'd always do something. And Kent and Chris loved to take the whip and just smack me with it, right? I would have welts on my, on, my, on my butt from the whip. They'd hit me hard, right? And they'd laugh about it. Well, one day I was ready. Chris is coming up behind me. He's wearing the Wesley Ward silks. And he starts to take that whip. And I whip my hand around. I knocked the whip out of his hand. And if you remember Hollywood Park, it used to be where if you come out as the jocks come out, Then they go into the paddock. There's an area where everybody's watching TV, the TV screen there. Right. So I knock the whip out of his hand, and we both go racing for the whip, and I'm kicking the whip away from him. So he ends up in the middle of the crowd trying to grab for his whip while I'm kicking it away from him. (laughs) And he's laughing so hard. He gets his whip, and he looks at me and goes, I can't believe you did that. I said, I don't want another welt. And he goes right in there. He comes by, and he's laughing. And goes and wins the race. <laughs> and I'll give you one more. Michael Bates. I love little Michael Bates. Late Michael Bates, who passed away. Um, and the one thing about Michael Bates I loved, he was a very innocent kid. He just got mixed up with drugs and it ended up killing him. And leading rider at Delmar a few times. Well, one day he's coming out of the, the doctor's room to go uh, for the feature race at Del Mar and he's eating pizza. And I go, I'm on the rail and I'm like, what are you eating? And he stops and he looks at me and he goes, pizza, there's pizza in the jack's room. I said, can I have some? And he stops again, looks at me, looks at John Sabo, looks at me, goes, "Well, yeah, you can have your security guard, you know, go in there and get your piece. I said, he won't let me go in there, can you go get me some? And he stops again and looks at me, right? <laughs> this is how interesting he was. He takes two steps. And he looks at me and goes, i got to go ride, right? (laughs) (laughs) So he goes over and he shakes through Sadler's hand, you know, and he's still got pizza in his mouth because (laughs) then I look up at his pizza. And so he gets on his horse and he comes by me and I go, can you yell at the security guard? And he's laughing. He's really hard. Goes out (laughs) and wins the race, you know? But Uh. those are the little things that people don't see that happen you know when you're at the track and 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 you're and you're friendly and you you really like the people you're you even if it's just for fun and it's not about oh who do you like today it's about that camaraderie um i you know i i miss having the michael bases and the chris antley's around i when you talk to chris antley he looked you right in the eye and you talk to him he listened to you i had a horse with Grant Hoffman's. Grant Hoffman's was David's son. And we he took out his license and me and Toby Terrell claimed a horse with him named Fleodan. And I remember we wanted to stretch him out. So we work him six furlongs. And Chris works him. He worked one seventeen. One seventeen. And um last five and a half and eleven and two to just to come back around to the the beginning of our conversations. Um but <laughs> I Toby was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he worked out bad. He's no good. He's broken down. So I go down to the paddock, and I know exactly what he did. He, he let the horse run for an eighth of a mile. Frank Olivares came up inside of him. There's another name from the past. Uh, and he, uh, Fleotan ran after him, and then Chris brought him back. And then kind of eased him up in the stretch. When I got in the paddock and we're walking around, Grant was on the pony. Chris looked over at me and just winked. I knew exactly what he did. Horse won, going two turns the next time out, hmm. and got claimed because he had a boat ended. <laughs> hmm. So, um, just little things like that, you know that that you you know, and and Barry Abrams and the little times that I had with Barry Abrams in the press box and just talking about horses and you know you, it, it is the part of the game that I cherish the most, Ron. I really yeah. do.
0: We've come full circle. we We remembered lives that we enjoyed and we were privileged to know, and we continue to know them as we have younger and newer and fresher faces, and even some of the old ones as well. And that's the blessing of this game.
1: It is. So we've got new, we got this week, we've got Keeneland starting up again. I went back and I like I showed, I, I was talking to you earlier about. I have files now on every racing day from Keeneland at the meet. And I went back and took snapshots, uh, screenshots of every single winner last week alone. And I come up. With, I think I have an angle on Keeneland. So let's go play the races. Go to Keeneland. And we're working towards Breeders' Cup.
0: We're working for a living. Get more from Bruno by going to RacingWithBruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.